daughter's safe. Whether she stays that way is up to you. My people got some business with you. And if you want your kid back, then you gotta cooperate. Right? Wrong. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of Commando. You scared, motherfucker? Well, you should be. A review chosen by Sean Ray. Now that I have you, you will do exactly as I tell you. Hosted by Brock. I like you. That's why I'm going to kill you last. Stuart. Well, I've only known you for five minutes and I want you dead too. And Arnie. They make me laugh. If Matrix was here, he'd laugh too. But be warned, this episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language. Fuck you, asshole. Fuck you, asshole. We hope you enjoy the show. Come on, Bennett. Let's party. Today we're talking about Commando, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Ray Don Chong, Alyssa Milano, Vernon Wells, Bill Duke, and Dan Hedaya. Directed by Mark L. Lester. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. Ed Stewart. And this is the Now Playing co-host who always podcasts Commando, Arnie. (laughs) That's TMI. So welcome to our Commando podcast. First off, we want to thank our patron, Sean Ray, who requested this. But you might notice this is not on the patron feed. This is on our regular feed because we decided what a great idea to not only review Commando, but a bunch of other Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. It also helped that somebody else picked another Arnold movie, coincidentally. Within the span of like a week, we got both Commando and Last Action Hero. So it was like, Ah. okay, people want to hear us review some Arnold. So it's a little bit of a light time. We're fortunately done with Underworld. We can fill some slots with some Arnold action one-offs. Action being the key word. We're not going to be reviewing Twins right now. We're not doing Junior. (laughs) Or Kindergarten Cop, which would be a whole other series in itself. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun going back and re-watching, or watching, depending on our point of view, some of these vintage Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. I hesitate to use the word classic because, I mean... It's going to come to no surprise to longtime listeners of Now Playing. I had only seen Commando for the first time in 2009. For this review, it's my second time seeing this because, as we've discussed many, many times, I did not watch a lot of these kinds of movies when they came out. And by the time I caught up to Arnold Schwarzenegger movies in the 90s, and I watched the original Terminator and, of course, T2 and all his 90s stuff, the 80s stuff, I didn't go back and watch. So this is only the second time I've seen Commando, and I guess I am theoretically the newbie in the Arnold Schwarzenegger vintage action one-off genre thing we're doing here. Oh, I got you beat. I've never seen Commando before. Or Raw Deal. Really? (laughs) I mean... Oh, wow. These are new films to me. I saw the end of Commando, like the last five minutes of it, where they're walking on a beach because they were showing this movie before Star Trek aired in 1989 on my local Fox affiliate in Florida. But no, I've never seen Commando. I have seen 
virtually every Arnold 90s film. I saw most of them in theaters, but his 80s stuff is a blank for me. I'm a total newbie coming in. Stuart, have you seen this movie before? It was always on cable. You guys are weird. <laughs> like, that, this thing ran all the time. I saw it in pieces. I would see him do a gag and drop the guy and do the one-liner, or I would see... You know, Radong Chong fired the missile the wrong way or something. There was always these little bits. He would come in, but it never held my attention. I mean, I'm not an Arnold fan. I've come to respect him. Actually, I will say that after we reviewed Pumping Iron, I had a newfound esteem for him. I actually think that he is intelligent, even though oftentimes he can't portray that in his films. There was something about the way that he pitted uh, his competitors against each other. The mind games that he played that I thought was interesting to watch in that documentary. His bodybuilding career, it's kind of unassailable. Obviously, the man achieved much there. But as far as acting, and particularly this era, before he really came into his own with, like, respectable movies, like, we've covered a lot of them. It's just worth pointing out, we've done The Predator... We've done Batman. All right, that's not respectable. <laughs> but it's a major motion picture, and he was the star of it, and he got paid an obscene amount of money for it just to be in it. So I would think that, even though it didn't come out well, that does qualify as a respectable picture, especially compared to others. Yeah, I mean, he's been part of the Stephen King retrospective with Running Man, the Philip K. Dick series with Total Recall, which is one I really like, and, of course, Terminator. We have not done Conan. Those were the two that would have, at this point, when this movie came out, been the reason people turned up in the movie theater to see Commando. He is Conan the Barbarian and the Terminator, and that makes guys excited. What made me laugh was this movie was pitched by his agent as having appeal to women. Like, this would broaden <laughs> his audience with women because he's playing a father rescuing a daughter. He, what he said himself was he was excited for this role because he's not a barbarian and he's not a robot. He gets to play a man. Uh, debatable. Debatable. Okay, well, wait a second. I see his point, though. He does have a house. He does have a child. He owns a car. He doesn't have to steal things or swing a sword around or wear a loincloth. I think this is a win for Arnold here. Big time. Again, it's a pretty big stretch to say that he's playing anything relatable to a human <laughs> being in this, or that he's particularly very good. The other thing that shocked me, and I can't unsee it now that i watch watched this film, is what they were going for was James Bond. At least that is what his agent kept saying, was this will be like your 007 adventure. We got your one-liners, we got the babe that you run into that joins the... I mean, she's kind of like a Roger Moore babe. Like <laughs> She's like maybe not a great uh, Bond girl. Tanya Roberts. Tanya Roberts in The View to a Kill is a good comparison. Not Honor Blackman, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I listened to the director's commentary on this. While I'm the newbie, I'm probably the one most excited here. I was very gung-ho for this. And the director, we have reviewed him before. He did Firestarter. I also really like his film Showdown in Little Tokyo. I've brought that up many times on Now Playing as just this really cheesy, fun gem. Armed and Dangerous with John Candy, so... Uh, don't forget Linda Blair in Roller Boogie. That was, I think, his debut. But 
I listened to the commentary, and yes, he kept bringing up James Bond in the commentary. I thought he was fooling himself, but all of the one-liners, which I just consider an Arnold Schwarzenegger staple, but he's saying all of these one-liners are trying to be like James Bond one-liners, and I could kind of see it. Totally. I guess there's that lineage there, but Arnold would certainly make bad puns his own. When I was watching this for this review... I was loving the James Bond type one-liners. I kept on thinking James Bond every single time he put out a one-liner. And as everyone knows, I love James Bond. So for me, even if it was a bad joke, I enjoyed it. Because he had a good knack at laying that line in and uh, making it work. The editing and the way he set the line, bravo for Arnold. He has tons of quotable lines in tons of his movies. I think this is the first time that I, I can see in his career where he actually got lines like those. And yes, Arnie, he certainly made them his own later on. And Sean Ray did pick this movie, and his reason is he's like, it doesn't have the class or quality of Terminator or Predator, but boy, it's fun <laughs> and a prime example of why Arnold is a superstar. He may not be a good actor, but anyone else in this role and you wouldn't be reviewing it. I have to agree. I have to think that it is Arnold that has made this film at all notable. It, it had been Patrick Swayze? I don't think so. I think Kurt Russell could have done this in his sleep, and especially at this time, he was coming off Snake Plissken right before Big Trouble in Little China. He absolutely could have done this role and done it very, very well. I think Stallone might have looked at this if he wasn't doing Rambo the same year, right? Rambo 2 came out the exact same year, and this is a definite counterpoint to that one. I'm not sure when this one came out compared to that one. I think this one came out in the fall, and Rambo came out in the spring, right? Let's just call it what it is. Arnold is an imitator. Arnold is the wannabe. Stallone is the biggest action star in the world when we're picking up here. Terminator or no Terminator, what Stallone could do when you rake in those international grosses is three times uh, Terminator gross. And there were tons of... I just want to point out, yes, this movie opened at number one six months after Rambo 2. It ended up making $35 million. And Rambo made over a hundred million. So obviously. And what supplanted this at number one at the box office? Chuck Norris Invasion USA. What followed after that? Remo Williams. What followed after that? Death Wish Three. I mean, it was just the era for this kind of thing. They they were a dime a dozen. There's no reason from watching this movie to believe that Arnold would stand out from the pack. Well, Sean Ray has another reason for picking this movie outside of Arnold. He thinks it's a great example of screenwriting. Okay. Uh, in what context? Like actual good screenwriting or that people can write a movie that gets produced? He says, quote, this has a clear three-act structure and you can use it as a blueprint for young screenwriters to break down and can help them define the act breaks, themes, and character motivations are all clear, with the main characters revealing or discovering new and relevant information in each scene, with the stakes constantly rising. Okay, somewhere Sean is laughing. <laughs> I, he has come on the show many times. There's a reason why he's not here tonight. He couldn't say that with a straight face. That sounds like a paper Arnie would write in college. It does! Yeah. Look, I'm not gonna disagree that you can obviously see the seams in this movie, and it does come from from action movie royalty. Steven D'Souza wrote 48 Hours. He would write Die Hard. He would 
contribute to many action movies, good and bad, Running Man, Street Fighter with Van Damme, one of the Tomb Raider, Laura Croft movies, Judge Dredd with Stallone. You know, uh, the point is that, yes, he's once you get a, a break in this kind of genre, usually... Yeah, you can clean up. They always go to you. They, they consider you have a golden touch. And Steven D'Souza, for a good decade, was a go-to screenwriter for action films. Again, we're turning this into a series about Schwarzenegger. Why was he the guy to supplant Stallone? If it started with Stallone riding high off Rocky still, Rocky IV would come out this same year, and obviously Rambo II being a huge hit as well, why did that all change in the next decade and Stallone couldn't catch a break in at least American theaters and Arnold was the biggest action star, maybe the biggest movie star of that last decade. It'll be interesting to watch that transformation happen. We're obviously not covering all the films because there are already some of them, some of the big ones are already part of other franchises. But what I hope to find here, and it starts with this movie, is why does he stand out in the pack? Because of James Cameron. He stands out because of James Cameron. <laughs> My quick answer also is Stallone started making really bad movies right after this. Yeah, well, I mean, he couldn't just do Terminator. I mean, Schwarzenegger would be a nobody if he just had the Terminator. Well, this movie wasn't always an Arnold vehicle, you know. We could have been reviewing this with Kiss Phantom of the Park as it was actually developed with Gene Simmons in mind as the lead. Mm-hmm. He was acting at this time. I believe he uh, was the villain in a Tom Selleck sci-fi movie written by Michael Crichton in which robot bugs were attacking people. Run away. And we haven't reviewed that movie. Why haven't we reviewed that movie? I would love it. I, it's kind of a very Westworld thing to do. We should we should definitely take a look at Runaway. And Looker. Oh my god, Looker. But anyway, yes, Gene Simmons would be certainly a fun one to imagine, and very different from Arnold. And then you mentioned 48 Hours. Both were Joel Silver Productions, the same writer as you mentioned. So they thought about bringing Nick Nolte in here to play this commando. I can't picture the climax of this movie with Nick Nolte. I just can't. Well, you can't because it wouldn't be the climax of this movie. This movie is tailored to what the star can do. If you had Nick Nolte, you would have a more Nick Nolte-ish movie, would be my guess. And instead, we have something that is, as you state, could only be Arnold. But let's hear more about it in a plot. Arnold Schwarzenegger is retired U.S. Army Colonel John Matrix. He's chosen a quiet life to live in the woods, a single father to Jenny, played by a young Alyssa Milano. When John's former crew is murdered one by one, John's former commanding officer, Major General Kirby, comes to give the Matrixes extra military protection. The extra military protection does no good. No sooner has the Major flown off but a group of goons attack John's house, kill the military guard, and kidnap Jenny. The mastermind behind this plot was Captain Bennett, a disgraced officer formerly under John's command, played by Vernon Wells. Bennett has a personal vendetta against John, but that's on hold. Instead, Bennett is using Jenny to blackmail John to fly to the Central American country of Valverde and assassinate the president John helped install. This is all being done on the orders of ousted President Arias, played by the most assuredly not-Hispanic Dan Hedaya. They put John on the 11-hour flight to Valverde, and if Bennett doesn't get a call that John has landed, they're going to kill Jenny. John murders the man accompanying him on the flight, and he escapes unnoticed. He has 11 hours to rescue his daughter before Bennett and Arias realizes he isn't on the plane. 
Leaving the airport, he carjacks flight attendant Cindy, played by Ray Don Chong. Cindy at first is afraid of this hulking man who rips the passenger seat out of her car, but when she learns he's doing this to save his daughter, Cindy becomes John's partner in crime. They go through the ranks of Bennett's and Arius's goons, killing each one until they discover where Jenny is being held, which is an island off the coast of Santa Barbara. They go to that island where John suits up, putting on commando makeup, and a, like a one-man army, he kills Arius and scores of Arius's troops. The final battle is a knife fight between Bennett and John. When Bennett cheats to reach for a gun, John grabs a nearby pipe and impales his former subordinate. Jenny rescued, Major Kirby shows up to clean up John's mess, and Jenny, John, and Cindy fly off together as credits roll. That's amazing to me that you got so many names in there, because I watched the same movie you did, and I didn't catch half of these names that you just said. Wikipedia is my plot summary's friend. Amazing. But I did get Bennett. You're gonna say Bennett a lot. Yeah. And Jenny! <laughs> you know, it was almost like Forrest Gump saying Jenny. I, I laughed a couple of times, but the Dan Hedaya... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch his character's name at all. I just In my notes it says, Dan Hedaya, Dan Hedaya, Dan Hedaya. It was supposed to be Raul Julia, who would have fit the role a little bit better. Joel Silver is friends with Dan Hedaya and said, no, you're going to take Dan Hedaya. Dan Hedaya at this time, of course, was on Cheers as Nick Tortelli, which is probably how I know him best. Although the following year, he would be in Running Scared, the underrated Billy Crystal, Gregory Hines, a cop buddy movie that if you haven't seen that, that's worth watching. I remember liking it. And when this gets started, I was shocked. I thought for sure I would have bet a hundred million dollars that this was a canon film. I remember the movie <laughs> feeling like a canon film. They had that reputation, but it is not. It is my former home 20th Century Fox that I spent a decade working at. I did not realize this was in our library. No one ever brought it up, uh, which is strange because I did have to watch all the old movies and censor them for television. But Commando, yeah, this is a major studio putting this out. It feels like they wanted to compete with Rambo. Sure. I mean, but also it's a kind of a bold move by a major studio to open their movie up with a garbage truck. That could be a major harbinger for the movie that's going to follow. Yeah, I think an inside joke, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> they also opened it up with the score and we got the steel drums and the saxophone going. And I'm like, oh, my God. This sounds just like 48 Hours. And yes, they're both James Horner scores. They're both Joel Silver productions. But I swear, a lot of the score feels lifted right out of 48 Hours. I don't know 48 Hours well enough, but the kettle drum, the steel drums were driving me crazy. I don't remember steel drums being like in the action movie repertoire of the 80s. Saxophone, guitar riffs. Absolutely. But Steel Drums? You're saying it's in more than one movie in the 80s? Because this is not something I remember. Oh, yeah, they did it. Yeah, there was a whole Jamaican thing going. This really was 48 hours through and through, but Horner's his own worst thief. Tell me why this is happening. Why are these people being whacked? We'll find out that they were all in a unit run by Schwarzenegger. And so even though they actually want to hire Schwarzenegger because he was so good, they want to kill everyone else in the unit? Okay, this unit did a mission where they deposed a corrupt president and put in a American government-approved president. This feels like the Nick Nolte movie. Like, that actually trends with current politics of the Reagan era and would be like a political thriller drama that Nick Nolte would make. Right. So the lines are not drawn very clearly, but it is the deposed mm -mm. president who's behind all of this, and so he's assassinating everybody who was involved with his being deposed. 
Except Arnold. Well, I thought he was also killing those people because he couldn't find Arnold, and he was trying to draw him out. That is what we hear later, yes. Right. And everything you're saying, I didn't know for the first 15 minutes of the movie, and it was driving me crazy. Like, why are we watching these people get killed? I thought that was Mike Farrell in that first scene from MASH. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's, it happens to me a lot throughout this whole movie. Like, I think it's somebody else. And it wasn't him. And then Bill Duke just starts killing people, left and right. It's crazy. It's a real grabber of an opening. And I got to tell you, this is one case where my choice to stay in bed would pay off. Because if I miss Garbage Day, I'm just missing Garbage Day. I'm not going <laughs> to race out of bed and go try to chase down that truck but this guy's devotion to trash gets him killed followed by one that i didn't even realize was another member of the team i just thought bill duke wanted a <laughs> but the, the guy running the showroom how does that work you used to be part of like a elite squad and now you have a car dealership like i guess that could happen but just didn't he say they had different names and identities too like they're in this protection yes federal protection unit or something and as far as i understand it Cars that are in the mall, like on mall floors, or cars that are on the showroom floor, don't have a lot of gas in them, if any at all, for safety reasons. Right. Why would you even have the engine in it, right? Really? I mean... No, I bought a car on the showroom floor. It had enough gas for a test drive. It had an engine. I mean... Well, I guess on the showroom floor makes more sense than a mall, but it just seems strange that, to me, that he gets drive right off the thing. He also... Bill Duke, in both those scenes, he has one-liners that Arnold would have the rest of the movie. Bill Duke stops saying one-liners, but they start them right away. He says the best thing about it is the price or something like that in the in the showroom and the garbage truck when I forget what he said. We won't. He's The guy was like, oh, I'm afraid you'd miss me coming out with the trash. Don't worry. We won't. And Bill Duke, of course, I mostly know him from Shaving and Predator. So to see him here in another Arnold movie, part of me is like, I wonder if this is how he got the gig. You know, he mostly known, I think, as a director, but like he did movies throughout the 90s and a character actor. I mean, I think he, he has those sad eyes, right? Like Basset <laughs> Hound eyes that kind of stay with you. The kind of look that you'd want for a movie like this. And deaths do come in threes, as we all know, and they blow up the guy in the boat. I'm not sure if Bill does it himself, but his friend does it. Bill's right there. They kill the guy in the boat. Yeah, why? Okay, this caused some confusion for me. Do either of you know that actor playing Bennett? Of course. Yeah, we covered Road Warrior. Oh, he was the bad guy in Road Warrior? Oh, yeah, very notably, yes. Okay, because I didn't know this actor, I didn't recognize him, and so when they kill this guy on the boat, and then later Bennett comes back and they're like, I thought you were dead. I'm like, why did you think Bennett was dead? I didn't get that it was the same guy. Yeah, Vernon Wells, he was in Weird Science, he had a whole series later called Circuitry Man, like straight-to-tape crap. He is, believe it or not, like, even though he's straight, he's kind of a gay icon for this movie because he's, like, dressed of Tom of Finland leather and all of this stuff. This was big for him and his career. I thought he was wearing chainmail the whole time. His goal when playing this was Freddie Mercury. He was trying to style himself and give himself the mustache and everything. Yeah. And so if, that's probably why it clicked with the gay crowd. Totally. And Vernon Wells is the best thing about this movie. I'm just going to put it out there. Bennett is hilarious to me in every scene. Uh, so I didn't like his accent. I found the chainmail shirt and his accent extremely distracting every time he got on screen. And he was reminding me of the guy from Light of the Concords, the agent. A very over-the-top Australian accent. I almost felt this guy was putting on an Australian accent versus actually being Australian because it sounded like right out of a cartoon, in my opinion. But it's real. 
I again watch the Road Warrior. He's very memorable in that and complete Aussie. And yes, why do this? We see him get on the boat. He kind of looks at Bill Duke out of the corner of his eye. Bill Duke is holding a radio transmitter that is as big as a house that we know that there's a bomb on this. Why go to these troubles to make it seem like Bennett is dead when, like, I'm talking like eight minutes later, Bennett is going to come back and be like, I'm alive. I think later on in the movie, they say he was also part of the unit. No, yeah, he definitely is. But why go to the trouble of pretending, like, why wasn't two guys enough when what you were really trying to do was kill the old unit? The other thing is he was part of the unit, but they talk about him being kicked out of the unit and disgraced. So I don't think he was part of the unit during the whole Valverde bit. But otherwise, why would the president cozy up to him? But no, I do not know why he got his houseboat blown up more. I don't know how he got off the boat because the way it's cut, you see him driving the boat at the wheel at a fraction of a second later. You cut to the outside of the boat. The boat explodes. He is clearly on that boat when it's blown up. Yeah, it's all kinds of silliness. Obviously, what they really needed to open with was this Valverde mission. It would have been really helpful to see them depose the president, do everything, have a big action thing. But this wasn't that kind of movie. They didn't have that kind of budget for this one. This one's pretty cheap. I think, what, $8 million? And they ran out of money. We'll talk about it, and I'll show you where they ran out of money. But... Yeah, it's a fairly low budget. Even for a major studio, they didn't have the kinds of access. Arnold wasn't Arnold yet. And so he couldn't command the kinds of set pieces that you'd really want to open this movie with. And goddamn, I know you don't want to open this movie with him getting ice cream smeared on his nose with Alyssa Milano. Oh, come on. Those opening shots of his muscles made me weaken the knees. Those are some glory shots of bodybuilding. Oh, no. Let's be clear. Maybe the most famous entrance in any Arnold movie is him carrying that tree. I remember that from the cable viewing. This is a big deal that he enters. Yeah, chainsaw in one hand, tree on his other shoulder. Yes. But then completely ruins it by playing with deer and like patty cake with the girl from Who's the Boss? So here's the thing, and the credits started coming on and the music underneath, it reminded me of an 1980s sitcom opening when people would smile to the camera and they'd do something, some bit with ice cream or with a telephone and they smile, mm-hmm. starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Alyssa Milano. And it was so funny, I was laughing out loud the whole time because Alyssa Milano was in one of them. I'm surprised that on YouTube they haven't like put the theme <laughs> to Family Matters underneath this, like a vignette. That log, by the way, I have in my notes here, is that a tree branch? Oh, it's a log. No, it's a tree. No, it's a log. It's cut. Oh, wait. It could be a tree, though. Like, because it was so big, just like his muscles. It was like it's the strongest man competition on ESPN. Like, it was amazing that he was able to lift that. And then he was lifting his daughter, too. This guy is just a Hulk. He's a gigantic man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, spoiler alert, that tree wasn't real. But, I mean, they're really selling him as the world's strongest man here. And it works. He comes off like Superman and then Super Dad. The fact that he's willing to let himself be corny with Alyssa Milano. You better like these scenes because it's all you're going to get of those two together and that's the relationship that's going to drive the entire movie. Do you like these scenes? No, I do not. I'm reminded of Stallone when he visited the set of Masters of the Universe and pointed it off and said, (laughs) you gave him lines. When he has to do this bit about why don't they call him Girl George? <laughs> like, don't give him jokes. Don't let him near the cream magazine. Just let let him lift trees. Like, seriously, not Ginny. 
you don't need Jenny, right? Like, you use something else. I don't know what. Uh, maybe a wife. It just makes me realize how different time is in 35 years, because you couldn't get away with that Girl George line these days with the hero of the movie. <laughs> but it's not even funny to Alyssa Milano then. Like, I mean, it's a bad joke, and, like, he does not land it. And a question to ask, and I think it's really salient, because I think we're going to see this in a lot of these Arnold movies. They don't give him women. I don't know that women find him attractive. And so, like, they just sort of play to the male crowd. Like, they give him a little girl in this one. And, yeah, maybe Radong Chong has some Stockholm Syndrome later. But kind of like the woman that he kidnapped in Running Man. And, you know, the girl in Predator that was stolen from the camp. There's always these captive women that are bound to him, but are not in love with him. Didn't you say at the beginning that they thought this movie was going to appeal to women? Again, this is what's so laughable. These are the scenes that are going to warm women's hearts. Let me just say, there are two cuts of this movie. A director's cut that has more gore and about a minute more of scenes, and a regular cut, and you'll know which cut you saw if you know what happened to Jenny's mother. Oh. Yeah, I thought it was strange that it just goes unspoken, that they just live in a log cabin out in the middle of nowhere with no mother around. You know how I feel about director's cuts, Arnie, even if it's a minute longer. <laughs> I prefer the theatrical. But can you please fill us in on what happened to Jenny's mother? Because I'm really curious. During a car ride with Ray Don Chong, Arnold will explain that the mother died during childbirth and that he continued being a commando. And she, he's like, when she took her first steps, I was in Laos. When she got her first grade, whatever, I was in Cambodia. And so he was tired of missing her life and decided to quit doing these ops. And Radon Trunk's like, what were you doing in these places? And he's like, things you're better off not knowing about. And so that's the extra... <laughs> characterization you get if you watch the director's cut is finding out that he was a bad dad for a long time and that's why now he likes to feed deer and get ice cream on his nose sure it's a well-known trope that you kill the girlfriend kill the wife that's what sends them on the commando path but again i just want to point out they don't give arnold a female equivalent and i think it's because he just doesn't have the appeal and he doesn't play well with them he doesn't again with Alyssa milano here in these brief scenes cut them they're horrible and more importantly they're detrimental to his macho image just stick with the tree. Well, let me ask you guys. Did you think he was in a relationship with Radon Chong? Because the director did. The director said, at the end of this movie, you have a family going off with Radon Chong in the wife-slash-mother role, and that this flirtation throughout had created a closeness and a relationship between those two. No. No. She's a Bond girl. She'll be gone. If they made a sequel, she wouldn't be in it. Let's put it this way. I don't understand why she's still in the movie halfway through. After that whole thing in the mall, there's no reason for her to be here. Yeah. No, there's no place for women in this movie. And it's laughable that they thought they could market to them. There's no reason that she has to fly a plane later in the movie. I don't want to get ahead of myself. If he's a commando, he knows how to fly that plane. So there's really no reason that she needs to be in this movie for half the time. And for her to still be around for the majority of this movie after what she sees and how they set her up doesn't make any sense. Nah, but I'm glad she's here. But let's get to her. First, we've got to get Kirby showing up to leave some nameless red shirts there to protect John. Because what Arnold Schwarzenegger needs is a couple of guys to protect him. Yep. And we all knew they were fodder here. 
James Olsen, I don't know who that is, but he has like the Richard Crenna role. Like, again, there's so much about Rambo here that he's the guy that lets everyone know, if you didn't know from him carrying the tree, that this is a tough guy who has some real military bona fides. And you're right. Why would a guy with real military bona fides need two guys posted at the door? Well, because we want to kill some people in literally like 30 seconds after Kirby flies away, (laughs) it's time to have some shootouts. And I love the fact that Arnold is able to grab Jenny in time because he can smell the enemy coming. How bad do they smell? Mm. (laughs) I thought it was hysterical. I smelled them coming. I was really... And Jenny, bravo to Jenny. She takes this all so well. She's not even freaked out one bit that her house is being invaded. I take it that this isn't the first time. (laughs) Right. I guess not. But yeah, it goes pretty quick, though, that they get Jenny and get out. I thought there'd be more to it. We see Jenny under a bed and somebody's walking in. We see Boots. I thought there'd be more struggle or something, but if they filmed it, they cut it. Because the next thing you do, you have another nameless goon there just saying, John, you have to do what we say, right? And Arnold's going to repeat that Terminator thing wrong. Like when he was told he couldn't load the gun in Terminator. Yeah, and booms him right there. I mean, how is this playing to you guys? It's certainly not tough, right? We can all agree that if this seemed macho and cool in the time, that time has passed. Um, no, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think this is macho and cool now. You think this is cool or you think this is funny? I think this is fun and macho. I'm not laughing at the movie quite yet. Certain parts like the opening sequence we talked about. In a minute, he's going to check out the engine of his car with the most amount of wires at the back of a TV set at my house with all those wires he pulls out of his engine. I'm not an engine expert, but that's a lot of spark plugs. Those kind of moments I laugh at, but the movie is fun enough that for the most time, I question what's going on. I think it's crazy logic, but... It moves. It has fun to it. I don't think the people who are making the movie are trying to make a very serious movie here, Stuart. I think they understand the movie they're making, and they're getting away with a lot more than I think you're giving them credit for. No, I'm. here's what I'm reading. We had a really serious movie. It was going to be about Contras and the Middle East conflict. It had Nick Nolte. And then we got stuck with this ape, and we had to just turn it into one-liners and silly pratfalls. And that's what it has become. So it's kind of funny to see how dumbed down and just like cut and dry the scenario is. I see. I see. To me, this the whole thing is kind of a joke, like a dad joke. To me, I'm taking it seriously. I'm not laughing at this movie. What I am shocked by, and this is something that's probably going to be repeated as we cover more Arnold movies, is how much he does ape Terminator. He's like, I'm not a robot, but he's certainly acting like a robot, and he's certainly got a gun storage that old Terminator from the recent film would envy. So I'm appreciating this film And, I'm sorry, but taking that car and rolling it downhill without an engine, that's just some good stunt work right there. That's also really stupid. Like, if you miss them, which he clearly did, and there was a good chance that was going to happen, you just end up rolling over. So, good job there. I thought the Flintstones when he did that. I was laughing my head off that he Fred Flintstoned that car. But I agree. What was his goal there? He was going to drive an out-of-control car down a hill yeah. to try to ram them. All he had to hit the brakes, and it didn't work. I think he was just trying to catch up. Yeah. To be clear, Arnie, you think that this is as good as an action scene these days. That's what I mean about taking it seriously. I'm taking it seriously as I would a 
syndicated TV show action scene. I mean, I'm not laughing at it. I mean, I don't understand why you guys aren't quick to call this garbage. It's obviously garbage. Like, right from the get-go, this is a really bad film, which we could have a really good time with. That's what I want to emphasize. I'm not coming here as a hater, but I am coming here to throw tomatoes. Okay, so I think the director really helps this movie stay away from being complete garbage. Because I think the way he shoots the action scenes, the way the editing is good, the scene setups are good, the choreography of the fights are good. I think he's not appreciated enough for why this movie is in complete garbage. I'm not saying this is a great clever movie like Die Hard action movie, but I am laughing at the parts that deserve to be laughed at, but I know what I'm getting in here for, and the pace and the direction and the shot setups are keeping me involved enough that I'm not hating it right away. Pacing. I cannot agree with Brock more on pacing. If this movie slowed down and had even more Alyssa Milano stuff, I'd be with you in that it is garbage, but it is booking along at a really good clip. It's going to come in at 90 minutes. That's the perfect runtime for this. And the action keeps coming and doesn't stop. And so I'm able to just enjoy this film for what it's giving. Although I am going to laugh sometimes, like when Arnold gets out of the Bronco or whatever it is, and all those guys are around him with guns, he proceeds to still fight them and nobody shoots him. I mean, I know they want him alive, but he doesn't know they want him alive. (laughs) So, I mean, Arnold is going to do a few moves in here that I smirk at and go, oh, isn't that quaint? But by and large, I'm going to be reviewing this movie for what the movie is giving and taking it very seriously. It's a fun action movie that you find Arnold as a credible dad military what? Commando. I mean, he, he's a commando. I, I can't even finish the sentence. I mean, again, his acting is so bad here. When he's hit with that trank dart and, like, tries to get knocked out, like, so bad. Like, you would fire him. If he didn't look the way he looked, you would fire him. He cannot act in this movie. No, no. I don't know if he took lessons or what happened. He's doing his best. Why would you say that? Why would you say he's doing anything? He literally looks unrehearsed, like untrained. Maybe I say he's doing his best because I'm influenced by the director's commentary where there were discussions about him really trying and working on performance (laughs) and things like that. But, you know, here's the truth of it. Billy Blanks, Steven Seagal, there are movies with bad actors that are good action stars that I can look past their performance. I think he's giving an Arnold performance in an Arnold movie. What more do you want? You like Billy Blanks? Yeah, he he did great VHS stuff. I really, yeah, I'm shocked. <laughs> like, I don't under, you, you are not a person that, in my knowledge recently, of saying, I just like to watch stuff blow up good. I'm going to help Arnie out here a little bit because you guys reviewed the Death Wish series, and Death Wish 3 is a great example of a movie that takes itself way too seriously for what it is. And Charles Bronson, who has proven to be a very good action hero and action movie actor, and he actually can act if you've seen things like Magnificent Seven, Mm -hmm. but I'm talking about Death Wish 3 is a movie that has a, a lot of the same kind of things going, a very thin plot. You just want to see Charles Bronson blow things up and shoot people up and things like that. This movie has the pacing, 
It has the script that just understands what it needs to do and needs to get to here to here to here to here to here. And it doesn't take itself to want to be more than it is, whereas a Death Wish 3 does. So therefore, I'm still going with this because this movie completely tells me what's going on. We watch horror movies. We have terrible actors and we have terrible lighting, and especially in those early 80s ones we've reviewed here and now playing, but we can enjoy an early slasher movie for what it is. I'm enjoying this one for what it is. And all I'm asking is that you admit that it's bad. It's like, again, those slasher movies are bad. These are, these are low-grade entertainment that's fun to kind of, in a nostalgic way, go back and laugh about. Like, when you go back and see The French Connection, that's a good movie. Good action movies from any era hold up. This is 80s trash. It holds up. I think it's 80s trash, and it holds up as 80s trash. Right. It can only hold up as 80s trash. That Arnie is defending this. I literally don't understand what you're saying, Arnie. I don't understand the case you're making that this is thought-provoking, that this is compelling. Good action. Good stunts. Practical stunts. Everything we're seeing on screen is happening, and that gives it a visceralness that I think a lot of today's action movies lack. Plus, listen, Arnold may not be able to act, but they're surrounding him with fun people. Yes, there's Bill Duke, but we also got David Patrick Kelly coming in here, and he is a joy. No, I, again, all of the supporting characters, it's probably what Sean Ray was talking about in complimenting the script. It's fun to see these different types. They are assisting greatly uh, when we get what should be really the plot. So the plot is, after all this preamble, and he wakes up and finds out that the president he deposed is just sitting there in a warehouse, is you got to go back there and kill the man you put in my seat, and then I'm just going to ride in or something again. You know, the leader who was removed is just going to wait for somebody to be murdered and then he's going to come back in and take back over. I know it sounds far-fetched, but that's what Arius thinks is going to happen. And he thinks the best guy to do that is the guy that threw him out. Why didn't they kill him? Again, it would help to have seen the scene of him deposed. But anyway, so it's a fake country. You do that because you don't want to actually get into any kind of situation where, you know, you piss off Honduras or whatever. We're, we were having problems problems in that region with Noriega and, and what have you. It's a fake country, but it's a country we've reviewed many times. Valverde is a country that is just kind of like a go-to. It's where they were in Predator and Die Hard 2, that mission with the troops where they all bonded was in Valverde. Same screenwriter. So it's the same screenwriter going back to the same place. I have a question, though. Because this is a serious movie with a serious plot what the hell is Dan Hedaya doing? Why is he doing this accent? Why does he even bother doing an accent? If he could be a slime ball and do his Joey Pants voice, which is perfectly fine here, why is he doing this terrible, offensive, laughable accent? Because he's El Presidente of Valverde. I mean, what else do you need? I also feel like he's doing a big riff on Pacino and Scarface, which would have been a hit about two years before. Okay. I just think it's a really... You already have a lead actor who has a really thick accent. Why would you put one on if you're the villain? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but again, I think, you know, like, it was just pretty common for Italians to play Hispanics and to do it this broadly. Again, Pacino is a good actor sometimes, and I do enjoy Scarface, but I wouldn't call that good acting. Arnie, earlier you said that 
Arnold did a Terminator line, he does one too here. He does, I'll be back, Bennett, at the end of this scene when he gets his mission. Yeah, and I'll be ready, John. But yes, Arnold says I'll be back a lot. I remember he says it in The Running Man. It wasn't a Terminator line. It became Arnold's own tagline. And it's true. He just kept coming back. No matter how many movies like this he would make, he kept coming back. Yeah, but it is a Terminator line. It's the fact that that he was most closely associated with that movie. These movies are trying to crib that. We want to steal the, the success of that. We hope to get some of that on us. Well, wait a minute, Stuart. Back the bus up on that one. If I remember my history correctly, the Terminator was a modest hit and it became a big hit on home video and this time people might have seen Terminator on video or cable or something but I don't think Terminator got the reputation it got until a year or two after it came out but a year after Terminator is when this came out I don't think they were trying to crib off Terminator's success with this movie this movie was already being shot Terminator made 80 million it made three times what this movie made all right, I stand corrected then. I was under the impression it was a cult hit, and then the second one was such a big deal because, it, like, Lethal Weapon. Like, it did okay at the theater, made some money, but VHS really helped it become what it is. Yeah, and doing okay means $60 million for Lethal Weapon. Again, like, this thing is a wannabe. It is not the hit that Terminator was, or even close. All right, I stand corrected then. But right after that scene with the people in the forest, and they get all that exposition and set up the plot, here is where I think the movie really starts to work, Stuart, when he gets on the plane with that gigantic man and asks for a pillow and blanket, which I felt was so sweet. <laughs> oh, you know, because he plays with deers and eats ice cream. He needs a pillow and a blankie for the plane. And then the movie really finds its footing and starts to become a lot of fun. But I want to talk about this plane sequence because I didn't realize he was going to escape the plane. I mentioned earlier, I saw this movie once in 2009. I remembered nothing of it except the log. So <laughs> I was like watching a brand new movie. And I said to myself, why would you want to sit next to a dead man for 11 hours? Why don't you think this through a little bit more, Arnold? You have 11 hours flight why on earth would you want to sit next to a dead man but he escapes the plane oh man it is just such a throwback though this whole thing i mean they just walk through security they don't have to take off shoes they don't have to show tickets remember <laughs> when you could just go to the gate with somebody who was flying away yes september 10th 2001 well no even before then they stopped letting you go to the gate unless you had a ticket and then when they're on the airplane, they're like, we're getting ready to take off. Put out your cigarettes. I mean, it is just, I understand that for anybody older than us listening, they're like, and, but it's just such a throwback as I forgot that era existed in my lifetime with ashtrays on airplane seats. But I agree with you, Brock. I thought this whole movie would take place in Valverde. I mean, it's called Commando. I thought it would be like Predator. Arnold will be in a jungle yeah. acting like a commando. Obviously, he wouldn't be bringing down the president the way Dan Hedaya wants him to. But I didn't see him escaping the airplane either. But more to the point, it feels like a mistake we never go there. That feels like a weird thing that we introduce a president that he's supposed to get to that we never even see. That's weird. So Arnold has a great throwaway joke right here. The flight attendant says, any carry-on luggage? And he says, just him. It was great. It was perfectly said. And then a few minutes later, when he covers up with the blanket and says, don't disturb my friend, he's dead tired. That was a knee slapper. The dead tired, that pun. <laughs> I mean, that's a Bond joke. That is a Bond joke through and through. There we go. It's exactly what James Bond would say. And yet, 
it's not the same thing when it's not Sean Connery. When it's Arnold Schwarzenegger and not Roger Moore, it's not a Bond movie. It's a weird, weird thing. And you're right. Arnie called it out. We now associate this thing as Arnold's way of presenting. We don't think of him as a wannabe 007, which will make True Lies interesting because that was the movie where he actually did go for that image. I also want to point out there that this guy, Dan Hedaya, wants his government back so badly and he's forcing this man with a gun proverbially pointed at his daughter's head but still thinks it's a good idea to put him in first class. What a nice man. You could have put him in coach, but you put him in first class. What a nice guy. Hmm. I want to know which even first class, and maybe again, seats were bigger in the 80s, but Arnold is a broad man and that seat's wider than him. He's in like a lazy boy in first class. (laughs) (laughs) But he knows his way around an airplane. He can go straight from the lavatory to the luggage carrier where there's a dog for no reason and the next thing you know he's on the landing gear they wouldn't take off unless arnold was in his seat well what i don't know if it's real Stuart. i look to you you lived in la for a long time are there marshes near lax if you're taking off from lax can you (laughs) land in a swamp yeah yeah okay Certainly, yeah. There is there is kind of grassland. And I imagine back then it was even more undeveloped around there. But yeah, uh, that wasn't totally unrealistic. I kind of like this as a ticking clock. You know, we're in the era of no cell phones. So theoretically, they have to wait for this plane to land 11 hours from now in order to find out that he's escaped. One of those movies that would just be completely, you couldn't make it today. Yeah, you, right. He, that he has 11 hours to find his daughter. It isn't the mission I wanted. I agree with you. I'd rather go to Valverde and team up with the president and, you know, stop coups and all of that. But if that's not what we're doing, and if it's supposed to be daddy saving Alyssa Milano, okay, well, let's let's see how that goes. Arnold chooses to jump off the plane once it's in the air. It doesn't make any sense to me. He jumps on and off cars, uh, luggage barriers and things at the airport. And it's really funny how they edited it because it's clearly a stuntman jumping on and off. And then you see a close-up of him. That made me laugh every single time. And I was loving every second of it. And then another laughable part is he's at a crowded airport and yet is able to find the short little man on the telephone. The whole thing is completely bombastically stupid, but at the same time, I'm loving every single second of it. It's nothing less than I would expect from Arnold in an Arnold movie, though. I mean, even when he's not in Terminator, he's the Terminator, right? He's able to do these things. And yes, again, David Patrick Kelly just giving... A very fun performance here, but he's going to stop his evilness in order to hit on a flight attendant for a little while, who's clearly on the phone trying to go out with somebody else. And man, you know, you hear these stories about what it's like to be a woman and how guys can just creep on you, but it takes watching a movie like this to really drive it home. Yes, he's quote unquote hunting slash and yeah, she's having none of it. But here's the thing. I'm having none of it either. Like, she is... I'm going to say the fun almost immediately gets punctured with the introduction of Cindy. The thought was a bubble-headed Bond woman at this point. That they were dingbats. They were not jinx by any means. They could not compete and be a part of the action. So you have to have this. Yeah, because she's a flight attendant who has a cool car, she's just going to kind of get stuck in this plot. And then maybe... Yeah, maybe just maybe she falls in love with him at the end or something, but that doesn't really seem to be the point. Ray Don Chong is my favorite part of this whole movie. 
this movie would be a red arrow without her. Oh my god. It is a red arrow with her. Why would you say that? She has the funniest lines in this. She is saying what I am thinking so many times, only she's saying it funnier. Her ad-libs in this movie keep me laughing out loud. The moment she steps into this movie, it is given a burst of energy that runs straight to the end. I love her in this film. Okay, those were ad-libs? Those weren't in the script? Because it seems like those were in the script. No, they just would film her going and going and going and pick the best. And yes, it should be said that her claim to fame is she is the daughter of Tommy Chong, of Chichen Chong. I don't know. I guess I'd need a doobie because I really just do not find her funny in this movie at all. I feel like she is a real buzzkill and a retro, unnecessary throwback of the kind of bad parts women got in action movies like this. I completely disagree with you, Arnie. Ray Don Chong is the part I don't like about the rest of this movie. Horrible. I think she's what I turned off on when I was watching it on cable. When she shows up, it's like, off. Goodbye. She was in a few movies at this time. I remember very much watching her in Soul Man. I remember watching her in Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. But the thing is, with her performance here, I think she... Nowadays, they it's a screenwriting trope that they call out the BS before the audience can. They call it self-referential. Here, I found a couple of her lines about the macho thing fine one line would have been fine the fact that she kept on doing that and you're telling me they're ad-libs kind of pisses me off i thought it was just bad screenwriting you're telling me that's the funniest stuff that they had they put it in here i think the less we have of her character the better because the longer she's in the movie the less sense it makes i'll agree that it's a stretch that she sticks around after he no longer needs her car i'll agree with that but I like having her here. I watched this movie twice, both cuts, and both times it really hit me how much I enjoy her levity. Because, again, as mentioned, Arnold can't act. So by giving him somebody to be stoic against allows Arnold to be funny by being the straight man. I don't think she's a much better actress than him. Again, but she has to play the bimbo. So, like, it's just not a fun part in my mind i didn't see her as stupid i didn't see her as stupid either like she the one line i think that was the best one she had was i've only known you for five seconds and i want you dead or something like that that was a funny line but her character when they get to the mall tells the cops i'm in trouble i need help and that's what a smart person would do that's what i hope all three of us and everyone listening right now <laughs> i hope you would do when you have the opportunity even though they're mall cops there's still people who are in an authority position at that time that can help you. She did the right thing. And then after that, why she's around beats me. I'll give you this. It's fun to see the Galleria in this era. It's fun to see, uh, yes, a practical fight swinging around <laughs> on bunting and yeah, punching out mall cops. doesn't make Arnold look tough, but it makes me laugh. <laughs> The scene that I, I said every so often Arnold does something that I just have to roll my eyes and chuckle. The one here is where there's like 10 security guards on top of him. And not even Arnold would be able to get out from that, right? I mean, he's just got over a thousand pounds of security guard on him. 
But yet, all of a sudden, they all fly back as he just, like, stands up. It's a total Incredible Hulk moment. I had to <laughs> chuckle out loud. And also, when he rips the phone booth with David Kelly in it out of the wall, that was a funny moment. And just to see David Kelly trying to dial somebody from a payphone as Arnold is just pulling it out from the wall. This is fun. So here's what I'm trying to dial into. Are you saying that these moments are incongruous with the movie you're enjoying? Or are you just, like, not admitting that the whole movie is this dumb? I'm saying him throwing off all those guards is incongruous. Him doing the phone booth stuff is perfectly in line with the movie. Yeah, but, like, why wouldn't the little guy fire more than one shot at Arnold? Why would he hesitate shooting? Was he even shooting at Arnold? Was he shooting at security guards? I couldn't figure that out. What is he doing here at the mall? There's something about passports. This feels like a drop storyline, but there's something about he was going to get a bunch of passports for a lot of money and maybe pick up some slash. (laughs) He had two motives, yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah, he was kind of doing some work on the side. I want to call out that the Arnold swinging from, what, that balloon type thing, whatever that was. It was a balloon. To the top of the elevator was not him, but really, really cool. I love that swing. It was a perfectly filmed, executed, and exciting moment in that silly action scene. This mall fight is right out of the 80s, what I want from this kind of movie action scene. Yes, it doesn't make a lot of sense why people do what they do, but it's a lot of fun to watch him fight. I also like, because he's on the clock, for whatever reason... The desperation of this guy, knowing he has limited time, plays. Like, as soon as he starts the watch, and it makes a beeping, gigantically big beeping noise, right? It's wonderful that they have that. I know a ticking clock is a classic thing in in movies, especially with bombs. But it's kind of nice that they use that to help the movie. I'm not saying it's tense, Stuart. But I'm saying it, it does help with the urgency of what Arnold is doing and why he's doing it. No, I agreed with you. I said I like that device. I think it helps this movie to have that. And then we're going goon by goon. You know, we'll get rid of Cyrus here, the warriors. He'll get thrown off, uh, I guess they're on Mulholland or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. It was Mulholland. And I love, remember when I said I'd kill you last? (laughs) I lied. Oh, that one's good. You loved it? I like the next line better. What, what'd you do with Sully? I let him go. A great <laughs> Bond line. It's a great Bond line. It was great. Yeah, that feels like Roger Moore would say that line. I don't like... I lied. Okay. Some people can just say anything and have people on their feet. I feel like Arnold could say anything in that moment. And because we just love the fact that he's this imbecile, like he gets away with it. Stuart, that line is like, I'll see you at the party, Richter. It is. That kind of stupid line but you, that you love and you'll quote anyway, but it's not a great line, but it's perfect for the moment. Can we just call it out? Because I didn't realize this, but someone that spoke German fluently told me, he has a speech impediment. German people don't talk like this. This is not just a Austrian accent. Like, he is has a, like, I don't know what you'd call it, because I don't know the language, but, like, part of what we love is that we're making fun of the fact that he can't talk. I did not know that. It's not what he's saying, it's the fact that he can't say it. I like what he's saying, and I hear through, I guess, the speech impediment. I hear a heavily accented voice saying funny lines. Yeah, I don't think in these instances I can knock him too much. Like, coming up very soon, in fact, that stupid Green Beret exchange, that he can't say that line very well. That kind of line, I'll agree with you. It seems forced because he's having trouble getting the lines out. But these one-liners, 
I think he's doing absolutely fine with him. More, we are watching a career-defining performance is what we're seeing. Because he may have been big in Terminator, but he wasn't doing this. We are seeing a Schwarzenegger persona that will persist through every movie we're going to be reviewing here for a while. And again, I think it's a valid question to ask, is that a good thing? Like, why is that a good thing? Because it's so Schwarzenegger, like to me, like we've already talked about, he's a bad actor. Like I'm going to argue he can't move. Like the other people are doing these stunts because he's got the grace of an elephant charging. Like he can't do any of this stuff. You're watching all of this help trying to assist this lumbering oaf through his star vehicle. I don't think he's good in this at all. I'm obviously wrong. I thought the reason people would like this is because it's so corny and he looks so foolish. I think this is a dry run for Predator. I think two years from now, he does Predator and is in the jungle, right? And he's fighting with a band of brothers kind of stuff. And he has the alien. And he kind of perfected what this persona Arnie is talking about with that movie. I think this one is the the first glimpse of it. And he's learning what to do on our dime, if you will. There's a huge growth in this performance here and Predator, and I would credit a lot of that to John McTiernan, the director, being able to utilize what Schwarzenegger had as opposed of Arnold getting really better in two years. But who knows? I'm telling you, I'm complimenting the director greatly here for a lot of reasons I already did, and I think one of the reasons he's coming across so well here is because he's using Arnold properly, and he's hiding a lot of these issues with the movement and the stuntmen and things like that pretty well. We can see it. We've seen a lot of movies, but honestly, I think he's doing a really great job of, of working with what he has and making it as good as he possibly can. But we're going to be moving on to the hotel room, which I think is Radon Chong's standout scene. It's where Sully was supposed to go to meet up with Cook, Bill Duke, and so they get there ahead of time, they're searching through Sully's things, this whole thing, it's easy to lose the thread, but all they're trying to do is figure out, where is Jenny? Where are they hiding Jenny? And they have no leads, so they're going to this motel, and does Bill Duke have the answer? No, but he's going to have a hell of a hand-to-hand fight. Yeah, let's be clear. No, no one's trying to figure out the mystery or how they get from A to B or whatever. It's just, it's purely how cool is the goon, how good is the fight. Here, this one's a little weird. I do like Bill Duke, but what kills him? I don't even get that he ends up skewered here. He gets thrown like into either a piece of furniture or a piece of like wall decoration and gets impaled. Yeah, it's kind of gross. I'll give him that. Like, it's violent. It makes it kind of recoil. But I don't feel like this fight was great. I had trouble with this fight. At moments, it was great. The two titans going against each other. I didn't think they needed to burst into the wall next door with the couple making love. And then he gets impaled on something that's inexplicable. Why didn't the next door neighbors call the cops? So the same reason that when they were garbage men and blew the guy away in the beginning of the movie, no one in the neighborhood heard the gunshot. There's no cops in this movie at all until there are. So it makes no sense. And these instances, this whole motel fight, it strained the little credibility that, say, see, when you have a mall fight, it's over the top and fun. When you have a motel fight, it doesn't work. It's too closed in and it's not any fun to have this kind of serious motel fight. Agreed. It's not nearly as good as the mall, but there are a couple moments here I really like. First, there is Radon Chong, like, 
I've had enough of this macho bullshit. I mean, I'm loving her little lines in the corner there. And second, I don't love it, but it was called out and that they're dissing Stallone here. When Bill Duke says, I was a Green Beret, and Arnold says, I eat Green Berets for breakfast, Rambo was a Green Beret. But he goes on, but right now I'm hungry. Again, he can't. More than one sentence he has trouble with, and that whole exchange did not work for me. It didn't work for me at all. This is what I'm saying. I didn't even think this was controversial. I People make fun of Arnold for the way he talks. They do, right? I'm not crazy. No, I'm serious. I just never thought Arnold's accent was funny. I don't have a problem with it in this movie. You don't think that he talked like that doesn't make him sound like an idiot? The fact that he can't get these... You're saying he delivers them well. I think he's so bad at delivering these lines that it's funny. That's what's funny. He's given a great line and then he kills it because he can't get it out. I think he's delivering them well. I think he's known for delivering them well. Again, welcome to the party, Richter. And the running man, Sub-Zero, now Plane Zero. I mean, I'm loving these lines he does. I guess I don't understand why people love it then. Because I thought because it's so bad. Like to me, it's just purely trash and he's terrible. It's ultimate machismo. It is him being there as the supreme alpha male in physicality and asserting that dominance not only through abuse, but then through degradation. It works well. I do want to point out, though, if I could be wrong, didn't Arnold grab Bill Duke by the scrote and push him into the impalement? There is a whole lot of, I mean, you talk about macho, but there is a whole lot of, yes, girly man, like, there, certainly with the Bennett character and, and the way that he is sort of sissified, the Freddie Mercury thing. I definitely feel like there is a... Maybe vaguely homophobic quality to some of these fights. It was part of the 80s. I think it was just casual homophobia back then. But I also do think going for a man in the nuts and berries is a f- effective way to take him down. But they've run out of bad guys. Like, we're already, like, didn't they just have to rob an army supply store and there's nobody to fight? Like, some cops? The scene is taking me back to Terminator, right? Where the Terminator does arm up. But I have to say, in my wildest dreams, I never thought, A, that Radon Chong, a cop, would look at her and just be like, a hooker! And second, that she would use a rocket launcher. It does not seem like the best rescue method. I'm just going to put it out there. If I'm in the back of a truck and you want to rescue me, blowing up that truck might not be the best way. That's probably just going to kill me. I don't understand why that character, in that situation, not only fires on her friend, but... After the, she shoots it the wrong way for comedic effect, shoots it the right way a second time. The whole thing with this character in that situation using that gun, I know it's an 80s action movie where I'm being very, very polite to this movie, but this moment doesn't make a shred of sense in a movie that makes very little sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. And again, the point is not to make sense. I don't care if it doesn't make sense or not. They're not having good chemistry here. I don't feel like I'm seeing the two fall in love. I don't feel like she's warming the commando up, you know, and making him play in the way that she's trying to be silly and funny. They're not well paired. Listen, if they're beating up mall cops who are coming after them, that's one thing. If they're killing goons that are trying to kill them, that's another. But those cops were just doing their job stopping a breaking and entering, and 
the second time I watched it, I paid close attention. They do show that the cops survived the explosion. But I'm like, killing those two cops might actually be a bridge too far for me. I'm like, wait a second here. You can't just kill anybody on the street and still call yourself a good guy. Arnie, they catcalled her, as you pointed out, which is probably why they had that little bit of her being talked to that way. That's true. That's true. And because she's an airline stewardess, she, of course, knows how to fly a seaplane. And not only that, but over dangerous coastal waters where Bill Paxton is ready to shoot her down. Woohoo! Yes. Worth mentioning, they did hit a warehouse where they found the coordinates. Somehow, they are able to figure out the latitude and longitude of some island off Santa Barbara. Why can't it be Valverde? Like, Like, why can't he go to the country that he's wanting to take over? More than that, they're able to figure out, based upon fuel usage, where the plane is now so they can steal it. (laughs) Yeah, and and seaplanes only use a certain type of fuel. I didn't know that. I learned something about airplane (laughs) fuel. Don't think it's real. We've had little interstitial moments where we've seen Jenny. She's basically been hauled to this deposed president's mansion, and I don't know why he's not happy to live and rule here. But, like, she's being kept in some room in this big palace and ends up, because she's the son of Arnold Schwarzenegger, she's crafty and figures out a way to bust through the boards over the window and escape. Which is good because, I mean, this is around the time that the plane lands and... Bennett knows it's time to kill Jenny, so it's good she escaped when she did. Well, when they found out that he didn't make it to Valverde, I was wondering when on the flight did they discover they had a body in first class? Thankfully, they had a body being taken out on a stretcher on the plane. I'm taking it they found it past the point of no return. Otherwise, they'd have returned to the States with the body. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he was dead tired. You just let him sleep. It's 11 hours. It's not forever, you know? At what point do they stop looking for Arnold on the plane? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he was really in the bathroom. He was really airsick. And he was in there the whole time. And the steward is his mind. In the cage with a dog. Yeah, who knows? But yeah, Rambo all over this scene, right? Like, this is complete lift. They had to be thinking, let's just do what Stallone does here when we have all of this montage. With the arming up and everything and the face paint before that though what about arnold's bod in that speedo i mean that's a total pumping iron outfit it's for the women arnold in the speedo and then he puts the cool vest on and he has the cool makeup and then i loved every bit once he put the vest on i was really loving him with the rocket launchers and the guns and the things like this is great a little bit like beverly hills cop and he's in a mansion shooting people up it's the same mansion brock Same mansion. No way! Hey! There you go! Yes, I noticed some of the shots are the same. The wall he hides behind is the same wall Taggart and Rosewood were hiding behind when they were shooting the guys. It is the- they filmed in the exact same mansion just a handful of months apart. It made me think of, again, Scarface in the way- like, even the way he's on the staircase there and gets shot. Like, they- I guess he didn't have a giant globe- that said, the world is mine, but it felt like they were really riffing on that. Here, this reminded me of UHF. That scene, I know they're ripping up Rambo in UHF, where he's shooting all the guys, but here, Arnold is not even taking cover, and people are shooting at him, and nothing is even coming close, and he just points his gun. He shoots, like, five guys in a single shot. It's just hysterical to me, and this time I'm I'm laughing at the movie, but it's just a trope of movies of this era, how... 
millions of bullets are flying and nothing hits this guy. <laughs> yeah, and wall-to-wall carnage. I mean, this body count is really, really high. 109. <laughs> yeah, it might be bigger than Rambo First Blood. And, and I think Rambo killed, like, <laughs> the entire country of Vietnam. And, like, whatever's going on in this island, more dead bodies. But, you know, and Arnold throws a grenade here and the guys are nowhere near the explosion. They jump out of the way and get killed. Arnold does the same exact thing and is able to just brush off and keep walking. He seems like he's made of steel here. He doesn't seem like he can get hurt. He gets shot a couple of times, I think. Oh, of course. He, you have to get shot in the arm. That's just the rule. Yeah, he goes into that barn and they go. They think they they shoot it all up and they think they got him and he comes down swinging with a pitchfork or whatever. Like, Yeah, I mean, I get that this is how you build a mythical hero creation. Arnold's got a great body. The physical presentation of him is how they're trying to make this work. But if the thought was James Bond, this is an epic fail, right? Like, this is not a good Bond movie. No, this is not a Bond moment. Bond sometimes uses, especially in the 90s, he uses a machine gun more. But yeah, that's not at all. But I love that shack, the garden shack with the pitchfork and the all the garden tools and stuff. I thought that was a lot of fun. It was silly and absurd and... Just like this movie, right? I mean... <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, yeah, he's throwing saw blades like frisbees and severing arms. And he scalps the guy. He scalps the guy with it. It needed more of this, right? Like, I feel like there's a few and far between. That's why I think I thought canon films. I thought the whole movie was Death Wish 3 craziness like that. But it's really only a small, we're talking about 30 seconds of the whole climax here is that kind of crazy kill. If you watch the director's cut, you get more of it. Like, some of the kills, they were MPAA censored, so sometimes you get to see people kind of just embellish their deaths a little more. I understand that when Arnold cut the one guy's arm off, he then was trying to sell the director, I should take this arm and beat him with it! <laughs> but the director thought that was a step too far. It kind of. It would be too far, but being too far... Is again what I'd argue I like about this movie. Like, I like this movie in how it reminds us of a time where we believed in these kinds of myths. Like, it's over the top quality is amusing now. And so, yeah, I like certain moments in this climax. They make me laugh. But again, I'm really struggling to conceptualize how you guys are seeing this as a fun action movie. Now, when we get past all of the Valverde presidents and troops, we finally get in the showdown with Bennett. And here I mentioned they ran out of money. This was not what they'd intended to do was this boiler room fight, but it's literally all they had the money left to do was to quick improv or workshop an ending where these two could face off and that otherwise they just wouldn't have a finished film. <laughs> I gotta tell you, this is my least favorite part of the whole movie. This whole movie leads up to this fight, which I don't really care about. They can tell me all day that he has a grudge against Arnold Schwarzenegger or inferiority complex or a jealousy or a whatever he has towards Arnold and that character, but I don't care at this point. I don't want this to be my climactic fight. I don't care enough about Bennett as a villain that it warrants this kind of drawn-out battle. I think Bennett's great. Again, I think this character is more fun than Arnold, but the yeah, they didn't set this up properly. We needed to see the scenes where they had the falling out. We needed to understand this rivalry. They needed to wait a while before he came back from the dead. There's so much that they got wrong with setting up Bennett, and now we got to spend five fucking minutes of them throwing each other around a boiler room. Yeah, this is too much of one thing is the problem. What gets me is earlier Bennett's like, 
of course I'm afraid of John. I'm smart. And he's so smart here, he's throwing his gun down when he's obviously got the upper hand and could just shoot Matrix in the head. And, like, I'll do a knife fight with this guy I'm so afraid of. I mean, come on, it's sexually charged. The whole knife thing and all that. He's clearly got one for Arnold. At one point he says, "I'm gonna if you shoot your head out, I'll shoot it. And then Arnold does that exact thing, and he doesn't shoot him at all. And then... At the end of this thing, it's the worst one-liner in the whole movie. Let off some steam, Bennett. It's lame, it's dumb, it doesn't make any sense. It's a steam pipe! It doesn't make it good. And like that, the movie's over. I mean, by the time the military's rolling in, everybody is dead. And we're supposed to think, you know, again, Radon Chong is piloting the airplane that's gonna fly off John and Jenny. And would they do a sequel? I mean, John's like, it's the last time. And the Major goes, until the next time. I think if Predator hadn't been the hit that it was, then he might have had to go do this, and maybe even straight to tape. I think his career could have shrunk. But because he ended up working with more talented people, and again, I think Arnold has a real talent for, yeah, identifying what he needs and improving, if not his acting, at least improving the people around him. He didn't need a commando to, but... Yeah, it could have happened easily. And hell, who knows? These days, they have those straight-to-tape sequels all the time. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody's not going to make one. I was going to say the same thing. I'm surprised there's not a Commando 2 that's basically the same movie, but done on a cheaper budget, like A Christmas Story 2 or European Vacation 2 or whatever they have now for those things. It happens all the time. Mm-hmm. I'd be surprised. I know they have Suburban Commando. That's all different movie. Oof. Yeah, but maybe we'll get to that in some other future date. But right now, Stuart, Arnie, do you recommend Commando? Stuart. A bad Bond movie or an amusing Arnold movie? It is both. I mean, I think I sound like a hater, but that's only because you guys have really surprised me at complimenting this movie with competence it does not have. (laughs) This movie is fun because it is bad. It is a brown arrow. It is fun because it is a retro throwback to a time when we believed in this shit, but we never should have. Like, again, it's a nostalgia trip. If you are a fan or or lived through the 80s, you can appreciate how silly this movie is. But again, what they were striving for, trying to get like an adrenalized, exciting movie that plays to audiences now, appeals to women, (laughs) any of this stuff. No, this is a really, really terrible film. And for me, the reason why I'm not going to say Green Arrow, Brown Arrow is Radon Chong. Like the reason that Arnie loves it is the reason that I feel like it really deflates in the middle of the movie. She takes over, good or bad, lover or not. She becomes very important in the middle of the film, and I think it's to its detriment. It's the reason why this movie has a scattering of laughs, but honestly, you just need to watch the beginning with the tree and the ending with Bennett, and you're done. So, not recommend? Yeah. Arnie. When I got done watching this movie, I realized what Sean Ray said while picking this movie is pretty much my review. This movie, I don't want to oversell it, because what it is is a middle-of-the-road 80s action film. It's not a standout in any regard except of its star. There were so many of these being made at the time, and as Sean Ray said, if this didn't have Arnold in it, I don't think that it would be talked about so much. God knows we're not talking about those Chuck Norris missing-in-action films as much as people are talking about Commando. 
And Chuck Norris is still a name, but he's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. And this could just fall right in there. And if you enjoy 80s shoot 'em up, the bigger the gun, the better the movie type of movies with, as Sean Ray said, it goes down easy, has fun violence and awesome one-liners. If that's what you like in an action movie, this has it for you. But there's so little in here that's a standout. There's very little here that makes me go, this is the one. I Stuart was shocked that I've enjoyed the film as much as I've had, but I would be shocked if there's anybody for whom this is a favorite movie. Like, what is it about this movie that would put it above Red Heat or something like that? I guess we're going to find out because we're going to be reviewing some of those. But I just don't see anything that makes this a cut above your 80s actioner. Radon Chong, I thought she added a lot of humor to this, and she was a good comedic performance. Arnold, just the gruff one who the lines just bounce right off of. So I enjoyed this movie, and it is a green arrow, but it's just, you know, an okay movie that's worth watching. It's fun, and that's as much as I can give it. This is a brown arrow for me all the way. I think this is the first time I've ever given a brown arrow to anything we've ever watched here at Now Playing. It's an historic day. I had a lot of fun watching this movie because it's so bad. It's stupid and dumb, but I had such a good time watching the action scenes. Such a good time laughing at the bad one-liners. Such a good time at, like picking out how implausible this or that is, or how this doesn't make sense, or that doesn't make sense, and what is she still doing here, and all the stuff we brought up here. But at the end of the day, this thing is fun. It is a fun, you come for this kind of movie, you get this kind of movie. I think the director, Mark L. Lester, deserves all the credit in the world for making this thing what it is. It moves, it has good shots, it has good action, and he uses a star as well as he can, and does everything he can to make Arnold shine when Arnold was not ready to shine. So I absolutely think you should watch this movie. Kind of like I said with Rambo 2, is that you have to see this if you haven't seen it. You should definitely watch it. But I can't imagine myself sitting down and saying, oh, I really want to watch this movie again. Maybe if I wait another 10 years to watch it, I'll forget everything but the log again and have a good time revisiting the entire movie and finding out why it's as fun as it is. But it's not a good movie. Let's be very clear. It is not something I think should be taught in film writing class. (laughs) Sorry, Sean. But it's a brown arrow, but for the purposes of our show, a green one at that. Yeah, and that's what I thought we could all maybe rally around. Arnie, you're saying it's not brown. It's green. It's green. Okay. That's a weird one for me. But you like Arnold the best out of all of us, probably, my guess. I think so. And I think that's why I'm kind of, even though I hadn't seen this, I'm here as a newbie fan. That's why I wanted to listen to the commentaries. I want to do the research on these movies. Even though I haven't seen some of them, I have enjoyed even the bad ones that Arnold has done. So... At least through the 80s and 90s. Maybe not all of the 90s. We're going to get to some that are just painful, I know. Yeah, I know what you're saying, Arnie. Arnold Schwarzenegger is a big movie star for a lot of people. He is their favorite movie star for a lot of different reasons. And I'm looking forward to moving on 
through his early career into his pinnacle when we talk about the movies which one is next which one are we doing next guys that would be raw deal i haven't seen that one yet either but hey if it's anything like this i'm highly optimistic but that's next tuesday we've got something else in mind for this friday Please join us this coming Friday. So we got a brand new series we want to tell you about. We're going to go to the crazy, kooky, ooky mansion of the Adams family. That's right. For six films, Silver Level patrons are going to hear us talk about Charles Adams comic books, TV series, a video game I played a lot when I was into Nintendo. Fester's Quest, yes. Mm-hmm. Awesome pinball machine, too, back then, too. Really good stuff with the Adams Family back then. Yeah, the Adams Family is nearly, like, 80 years old here, and we're going to talk about all of it, starting with a very obscure TV movie, of course, because that's how we like to roll here at Now Play. <laughs> Something called Halloween with the new Adams Family, even though it's, like, the old Adams Family. Yeah, it felt like we'd be remiss to talk about the Adams Family if we didn't get John Astin and the classic cast yep. in there somehow. Unfortunately, they did a TV special in the 70s. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm so excited. Oh, boy. I wonder if it's going to be a variety show. Like, back then, it was like they had like the holiday special mm-hmm. right around that same time. I wonder if they can do like dancing and singing more so than they normally do. Ice skating. Donnie and yeah, Marie. Yeah, I want it all. You'll find out. I want it on skates. It on skates. <laughs> I don't know if it will be on skates, but I will be this Friday for Silver Level Donors. Hope to see you there. It is the kickoff of our fall, winter, 2022-23 donation drive. It hurts me to be saying 2023, but nonetheless, that is the truth. The Silver Level Donation... We're doing six films, so it's up to $15. We'll take 10 minimum, but $15 donation for the Adams Family series. You get the Halloween with the old Adams Family. Three live action films, two of which went to theaters and the third of which has Tim Curry. And then two animated films that were, I guess you'd call them sleeper hits. Yeah, they're probably what your kids know the Adams Family to be. Then for the gold level, which is $30 or more... We'll take 25, but you're getting 16 movies, so we're asking 30. A hundred years of dystopia. Stuart, tell them your conception for this 10-movie series. <laughs> I mean, we all know everyone's saying the world is ending. Turn on the news, ask anyone on social media, and you see it. Dystopia, dystopia, dystopia. I'm comforted by the fact that they've been screaming this in the movies and in books for 100 years. And so we're going to go through decade by decade what the end of the world looked like in cinema. Starting with the 1920s and a super big classic I never thought we'd be talking about, Metropolis. You know, the robot flapper that like wants to take over socialists. It's really quite something, and a silent movie, something we don't do too often. I look forward to the Queen version myself. Yeah, there is a colorized version with uh, Radio Gaga, so I'll probably be taking that one in as well. But as we go forward, a lot of famous names that you may not necessarily even associate with the movies. And going forward, we're going to cover Brave New World, 1984, Fahrenheit 451, Soylent Green, 
THX1138 for you George Lucas Star Wars fans. Brazil for you Monty Python fans. Waterworld, which is a notorious 90s film with Kevin Costner. Children of Men, which I'm really jazzed to talk about and see again. And wrapping it all up with Jung, with Bong Joon-ho's Snowpiercer with Chris Evans. That's a really great lineup. I love how you're going decade to decade. I'm looking forward to listening to that series. Yeah, if the world doesn't end, uh, we'll all get to hear it through March of next year. And if those movies are new to some of our listeners, while I've heard of every single one of those films, I have seen one out of the ten. Oh, oh my. So... I'm going to be completely new to everything except Soylent Green. Oh, you haven't seen Waterworld? Why would I see Waterworld? It's good. It's so underrated. Yeah, it's actually really good. It's a bad reputation. It's yeah, that movie is much better than his reputation allowed. Completely agree. I said I was back in the theater then the day, and I couldn't. People were arguing with me back in 1995 about how they were wrong about. <laughs> it's a good movie. I agree. It's uh, it's Mad Max Four before Mad Max Four. And then for the platinum level, we're doing four movies. We normally do three. So this is going to be $40 or more. You get a highly recommended trilogy, The Wicker Man. <laughs> I mean, recommended by who? By me? Wicker Man, the original, is a bonafide nutso classic, which is going to surprise a lot of people when they actually turn it on because it doesn't look like a classic horror movie at all. It looks like a musical with boobies. Well, all right, you got me with half of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Rock wants the musical, I want the boobies. Yeah, I like boobies plenty, but I want I don't want my chocolate and my peanut butter there. I don't think boobies should be in musicals, but that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> horror musicals about you know, festivals on islands, no less. The Wicker Man from the 70s, its official sequel, The Wicker Tree, and its notorious remake with Nick Cage and the Bees, Wicker Man 2006. The Wicker Man with Nick Cage is probably the first meme I ever saw, or one of them, because that thing was notorious all over the internet. So if you don't know exactly what we're talking about, just look up Nick Cage, Wicker Man, and you'll know, ex- you'll, you know the meme. And notorious is the perfect word. Looking forward to uh, watching that movie along with you guys and listening to your show. Plus, a movie that's very inspired by The Wicker Man, but is maybe much more contemporary and beloved, Midsummer. We're going to close it out in the midwinter with a recent follow-up to Hereditary that got a lot of people talking. So all of that, plus we are bringing back retrospective series from years past in anticipation of new sequels. We are bringing back Evil Dead. We are bringing back the M. Night series because in February he has a knock at the cabin hitting theaters. I can't wait to knock it. There's a new Hellraiser that just got an R rating and should be dropping on Hulu hopefully sometime this fall. Slated for a 2022 release. We're bringing back Evil Dead because that also should be dropping on streaming this fall. The fifth movie in that series. And we are bringing back Jeepers Creepers, perhaps our most controversial retrospective series. Yes, reborn without the original creator, Victor Salva, probably to the relief of many. So all of that is available if you support Now Playing, and it is your support that keeps us on the air week after week, able to talk about all of these Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. And we are going to be doing another one next Tuesday with Raw Deal.
And speaking of 80s movie icons, perhaps none loom larger than Tom Cruise. No, we aren't bringing the Tom Cruise retrospective back. Top Gun Maverick finally came out. So the Top Gun retrospective goes on ice for a little bit. But we have an all-new giveaway announcement. Thanks to our friends at Paramount, we have five digital download codes for Top Gun Maverick. It's this year's highest grossing film. It hit digital this week. It's still in theaters. It was still in the top 10, fourth place last weekend. It's made $1.4 billion. If you haven't seen it, or if you want to see it again, you can own it on streaming by winning this contest. To enter, join our Facebook listeners group. If you go to facebook.com forward slash now playing podcast, the top pinned post is a link to our Facebook group. Join there and you are entered to win. And subscribe to our In Focus newsletter, which you can do at the homepage of nowplayingpodcast.com. There's a sign-up form in the right column. If you do that, you're also entered to win. Do both. You have two entries to win one of these five copies of Top Gun Maverick, and we will announce the winners on September 1st. And thanks to Paramount for giving us these codes to give away. And Brock... Stuart, thank you for joining me. Until next time, when we'll be back. You lost me, sir. Thank you for listening to this Now Playing Podcast movie review. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Leave anything for us? Just bodies. And a special thanks to Sean for his incredible support of the show and for picking Commando for our hosts to review. Don't deprive yourself of some pleasure. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. This was the last time. Until the next time. Want more reviews like this one? In the archive section of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews from our panel of hosts including The Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, and many more at nowplayingpodcast.com. You're going to love it. This is style and beauty. Support from listeners like you keeps Now Playing Podcast on the air. Please help me. You're the only chance I've got. You can donate directly at nowplayingpodcast.com. I'm afraid you'd miss me. Don't worry. I'll... And you can join our crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. You know what I like best? What's that? The price. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Associate produced by Jason Latham. Want to see me kick some ass? Now Playing is edited by Heath and Arnie. Are you trying to... Frighten me. I don't have to try. Now playing credit narration by Brock. Put the knife away and shut your mouth. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Venganza Media Incorporated. Remember, Sally, when I promised to kill you last? That's what made you did. I lied. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. 
They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. These guys eat too much red meat! Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of, and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. I believe this much of bullshit. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2022, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. I'll be back then. Major General Kirby comes to give the Matrixes extra military protection. I really had to ask myself, would that be Matrixes or Matrices? It's hard to say because no one has ever had the last name Matrix <laughs> before. I found the chainmail shirt and his accent extremely distracting every time he got on screen. And he was reminding me of the guy from the um, uh, Flight of the Concords, the agent. Have you ever seen that show? I do not know what you're referencing. If you've seen Jumanji, he was the guy who... Which Jumanji? Nope. Oh, uh, okay. Forget it. Don't worry about it. None. I've seen none. <laughs> well, there's a retrospective waiting for us in the wings there. It's something they keep going back to over and over again because it's shorthand and it's easy. But I might have looked up to see if it was a real country. Maybe. <laughs> Possibly. I did. Sorry about that. I didn't know. Okay. <laughs> Salsa Verde you can go to, though. That's good. Val Verde can't go there, and I'm not sure why you would. <laughs> Dogs and things certain countries have laws about because they have different diseases and things. Do you think Val Verde has laws about dogs? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look up on the internet because I clearly think it's a real country, Arnie. So I'll look at I'll go to Wikipedia on Val Verde. It's not the same thing when it's not Sean Connery. When it's Arnold Schwarzenegger and not Roger Moore, it's not a Bond movie. Right, but you also just totally dissed Roger Moore as James Bond there. And we've talked about all those movies. Roger Moore was quite a... He had some good moments as Bond. And Pierce Brosnan could have put that line across too. I didn't diss him. How did I diss him? I thought you did. I'm setting up for my friend Roger here, man. <laughs> I didn't say a damn thing against Roger Moore. All right. <laughs> I said he's not Arnold Schwarzenegger, which, by the way, is a compliment. Team up with the president and, you know, stop coups and all of that. But if that's not what we're doing, and if it's supposed to be daddy saving Alyssa Milano, uh, okay. You said coups. C-O-U-P-S. I thought you meant C-O-O-Z, and I'm like an 80s slang for a hoochie. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Oh, my. <laughs> yes. Well, I would think that you would know me by now that I would not <laughs> refer to anyone as coos. <laughs> uh, but before we get to uh, Susie. Cindy. Or, <laughs> before you get to Cindy. That coos. I don't think we're going to get to Susie in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that coos. She's a, she's a fucking coos. <laughs> See, you didn't think I would say it, but I did. There you go. You threw us a curveball there, Stuart. Going for a man in the nuts and berries is a f effective way to take him down. Nuts and berries? Isn't that redundant? Twigs and berries. Nuts and berries? It's the... <laughs> Uh, twigs and berries would be better. Nuts and berries. There we go. <laughs> it's, it's redundant. That's a trail mix. What are you doing? Uh <laughs>
It's a steam pipe. It doesn't make it good. <laughs> what would make it good is if Alyssa Milano busted in with teen steam. <laughs> Gotta let it out. Gotta let it out. Am I the only one that worked out to that? In the world, you're the only one. I don't know what that is. Oh. Was that Billy Blanks also? I'm just curious. Anyway. No, no. Yeah, Alyssa Milano. <laughs> it was her exercise tape. <laughs> teen steam. He was doing team steam while I was doing Tai Bo. There you go. She was in a few movies at this time. I remember very much watching her in Soul Man. I remember watching her in Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Brock's back for one episode and we get a Soul Man drop. I love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. 